0: Footsteps of Jesus from Down Under. Welcome to our program. It's very nice to be with you again, and I would like to welcome my guest for today. Hi, Christine. How are you? I'm
1: good, thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: It's very good to have you with us, Christine. We were talking about uh, this opportunity to come together and share a bit of your uh, story your walk with Jesus and I know that you have so many experiences and an amazing walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Just before we'll go into your story, Christine, would you be able to just give us a bit of your background?
1: Okay. I was uh, born in Adelaide and uh, we lived for a little while in Mount Gambia and then we moved from Mount Gambia to Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide. We now live in Silverton, in South Australia, on the Flurio Peninsula, in a beautiful region of South Australia. And the country is just so beautiful there. um, A lot cooler than the rest of South Australia. It's um, surrounded by wildlife. It's a lovely area. I love it. place to be closer with Jesus.
0: Very good, very good. I know some of your uh, children. I mean, I know particularly, I know... uh, uh, Dita. how many children do you have, by have the way? I have
1: three sons, and Dieter is our middle one.
0: Okay. Uh, Christine, uh, this is the time when we we'll would like to hear from you how God worked miraculously in okay. your life.
1: Well, my spiritual journey really began when my dad joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when I was only about three years old. He enthusiastically encouraged my mum to join too. And while mum went along and enjoyed the company of these lovely people, she felt that after careful investigation into the church's beliefs, it was just not for her. She believed that there were too many man-made beliefs within their doctrinal stand and she'd read and had disagreed with the Book of Mormon. However, this experience set her on a path of searching for a Bible-based church, one that didn't use outside sources as the basis of their faith. And I remember as a child going to many different churches. It seemed we visited every denomination in the country town where we lived. Mum would go for a few weeks to one church and then she'd find something she didn't agree with, would move on to another church. We had gone to what she thought was every church in town when she thought her search was had proved fruitless. She had reached the point where she was ready to give up on her search. Then one day, walking home from the shops, a man handed her a brochure advertising some Bible lectures to be held in the coming weeks in the town hall around the corner from her home. The brochure advertised lectures on Bible prophecy. This piqued my mum's interest, and she needed no persuasion to attend. The meetings were held in the evenings, and as I was only about five or six at the time, I didn't go along, but I remember her coming home after each lecture more excited about what she was hearing. She urged my dad to join her, but he was happy in his church, so he refused to go along. He believed that he had found the truth, He was, and he wasn't looking any further. He became increasingly disturbed by my mum's determination to follow the teaching she was learning from the Bible, and I remember her coming home and declaring that she had never seen a church that based all its teachings on the Bible. Mum was just blown away by the the truths that came from her Bible lessons. This upset my dad tremendously because although mum hadn't said it, her enthusiasm and acceptance of these teachings meant that she was effectively saying, without saying it, that his church was not Bible-based. This upset him as he realized his desire for mum to join his church would not happen. His belief system meant their marriage was on shaky ground. As mum became more immersed in Bible study and determined to follow what she was learning, dad became more determined to fight it. Eventually, it would cause a barrier too big to breach. Mum's decision to be baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church sealed the fate of their marriage. After her baptism, my dad rejected her. For a while, I went along to church on Saturday with mum and then on Sunday to my dad's church. It was a strange situation. By this time, I was about nine or ten years old and I remember comparing the things with each church that each church taught, taught with what the Bible taught. And as I got older, I was able to make a clear decision. I believed back then, as I believe now, that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, not a man-made fable, and is the ultimate rule of life. My dad died just before my 12th birthday, so I stopped attending the Mormon church, and by this time, Mum and I had moved to Adelaide, and because of circumstances, I I stopped attending any church. A few months later, I began attending um, the Seventh Third Winter's Church near our home. Going along with the rest of my Sabbath school class, I decided to be baptised, although I didn't fully understand what it meant. Two of my friends were being baptised, so I went along with them. A short time later, Mum moved to a different area of Adelaide to be nearer to my high school, so I stopped attending church again. I became friends with a new girl at school whose father was the pastor of the local Church of Christ. She invited me uh, and some of my friends to her church and we went along. I remember telling the pastor that Saturday was the true day of worship as taught in the Bible and he sternly rebuked me, telling me that it had been done away with in the New Testament. I was only about 13 at the time and I didn't understand how he could come to that conclusion. Although I didn't argue the point, I asked him if he could show me that, but he never did. I reasoned in my mind that God had written the Ten Commandments with his own finger on stone, and so it seemed to me at least that it was indelible, unchangeable, eternal, applying as much to humanity today as it did when he wrote it in stone. I didn't need a theological degree to tell me this simple truth. And the other point was that Jesus rested in his tomb on the Sabbath and I continued going to this church mainly because my friends were there and they picked me up every Sunday morning. But there was always that deep nagging conviction that Sunday was incongruous with Christianity. It had become a long-time practice of mine to take our dog for a long walk after school I never followed the same route, and when I took her for her walks, but one day our walk took us along Henley Beach Road during the rush hour. As we walked toward home, a car stopped and out-hopped my old pastor, who had baptised me all those years ago. He had lost touch with us and wondered how we were doing, and upon discovering that I wasn't attending church, made arrangements for me to go the very next Sabbath, From then on, I've attended the Adelaide City Church for many years and I never stopped attending church since. While attending church, I started going to discos with my school friends and although mum assured me that it was okay to go, I was strongly convicted that this was not a place for a Christian. Despite Mum's reassurance, I made my decision to stop going to Disco's. It was at this time that I became involved in an evangelistic campaign that the church was running with Pastor Jeff Yulden. Listening to the pastor's lectures, the messages of the Bible became clearer to me. I was convicted and asked for rebaptism in 1978. This time, it was my own decision, and I understood its full importance. Church was becoming my life. And I had made more friends and I became more involved in programs. In 1979, I married a young man named Michael um, who had also been helping out at the evangelistic campaign. I was still a baby Christian and had very much to learn. I'm so thankful that our God is patient and long-suffering with us because I was learning ever so slowly. I had never read much of the other christian writings outside the bible but now i started to become interested in the spirit of prophecy some people believed it was man-made writings and some people believed it was god inspired i listened to both arguments and decided to ask god about it and took it and to look into it myself and make my own decision Mum had always emphasised to me the utmost importance of finding out things for myself and to be fully convinced in my own mind, rather than follow the beliefs and convictions of others. This is still a practice I follow and have taught to my children this too. I did not have any spirit of prophecy books and had very limited funds with which to buy them. I told the Lord about this and a couple of weeks later my mother-in-law turned up at our house with a full set of brand new testimonies for the church that she had rescued from the fire. Now that's another story. But thus began my search. I could not help but realise that these writings were not given to replace scripture or provide any new message but to clarify an already clear Bible message. As I understood it, these writings were given to make the Bible teachings relevant to our times. They were not a replacement, nor an addition to the Bible. As I delved deeper into these writings, I gave birth to our first son, Siggy. With the busyness of ensuring tiredness of of being a first-time mum, my Bible study habits dropped off. About this time, we moved to Mount Barker, where our second son, Dieter, was born. And it was at this point that I had a significant dream which warned me that I was treading on a dangerous path. And if I continued to neglect Bible study and prayer, in the dream, I dreamt that Michael and I um, joined others, other friends, on a day visit to an island. We caught a ferry there, spent the day exploring the island and caught the ferry home. However, distracted by the many interesting sights and flowers, I became absorbed in everything and missed the ferry back home. I was stranded on the island. I remember the panicked feeling I felt in my dream as I saw the people moving away from shore with their backs to me, not seeing me or hearing my cries and especially the warning voice that told me I needed to be ready to go home. In my dream, I understood it to mean that God was telling me to be ready to go home to heaven. I understood my need for a personal connection with God. Heeding the warning, I returned with diligence to regular daily Bible study and prayer. Around this time, a disagreement came within the church regarding theological issues It was a difficult time for everyone. Many people lost their faith and left the church. As I listened to the ensuing Theological Discussions, I made a decision to search these things out for myself and make up my own mind about these important issues. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't following any cunningly devised fables designed to trap anyone. There were some bitter lessons in store for me. During this time, I had another dream in which I was walking along a narrow path with very steep sides. The path rose slowly higher and higher until it disappeared into heaven. There were many people on this path, all walking in the same direction. I was walking with my husband when I wandered to the edge of the path. Because the ground on the edge of the path was soft, I began to slip down the steep side. As I looked down, there was nothing but a black abyss, I looked up, searching for help, for someone to help me, but no one came. Calling out desperately for help in my dream, a hand reached out from heaven and pulled me back up on the path and on my feet. I knew that this was the hand of God, and this was, in fact, God's hand. It had not been a human hand, and so I continued my journey toward heaven. Although I understood some of this dream at the time, it was not until many years later that I understood its full significance. I don't know what the length of time was after that, that I had this dream, but shortly afterwards we received some mail from a ministry in the United States that denounced the church and related stories that horrified us. Thus began our fall off the path. Although we had no way of verifying these stories, we believed that no one would put untruths to print. How wrong was I? However, as it turned out, these stories were indeed only half-truths spread by disgruntled church members. Looking back now, I marvel that these groups have the audacity to call their work a ministry when their work is one of destruction, not designed to build up but tear down the work of Christ. Their work creates distrust, disunity, and definitely is not the work of Christ. But in the meantime, we were led down a path that would ultimately lead us away from the church and into the Reformed church, which is very critical of other denominations. It wasn't until we became members of this church that my eyes were fully opened and I saw what had happened. Michael, incidentally, had a brief dream in which he had been warned by God not to run ahead of him before he was sent. I did not heed this warning because I was so caught up in the Reformed church. We were only in this group for about three months when we realised our mistake and we left and returned to the SDA church. I felt truly humbled by this experience and I felt God had truly brought us back home. I asked myself, why had God allowed us to get so caught up in this fringe movement? Then I remembered my dream. God had indeed warned us of this, but he had rescued us too. Please do not misunderstand my intentions here. I'm not saying that the Reformed Church members won't be saved, but rather we should focus on Jesus and what he's done for us. We moved away from Mount Barker and lived near my mum, who had recently been diagnosed with cancer. I wanted her to be near her and to support her. She battled her cancer bravely and through her determination and positive spirit more than doubled her life expectancy. Three days before she died, I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 1. When the passage jumped out at me, the Apostle Paul stated, That is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, for and I know I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. That's from the New Living Translation. That day I spent the whole day with mum, who was in the hospice, and shared with her what I had read that morning for worship. I remember she was lying in her bed when I read this passage to her. She sat upright in, in bed and asked me to read that again. I, then after I read it, she relaxed back on her pillows and said, This is an answer to prayer. Then she explained that during the night... The pump that delivered a cocktail of painkillers had broken down. Until the device had been replaced and painkillers restored, she suffered unimaginable pain. Now, my mum was a very stoic lady who did not give in to pain, but this had been too much for her. She had spoken to her doctor about this that morning, and she emphatically stated that she did not want this to happen again. She asked her doctor to increase the amount of morphine, knowing full well what the consequences would be. She had been troubled by her decision and that Bible passage had put her mind at rest. She realized that God understood. The next day she died. This experience gave me so much peace that no human could shatter. So although her death was very painful, I knew I will see her again one day. Throughout my life with the Lord, I've had some uh, truly amazing experiences, although there are too many for me to share now. There are some I would like to share with you that really stand out. Now, some people might think that it's too fanciful for me um, for these to be true, and some think, may think that I'm making this up, but I can assure you it is 100% true, and I have witnesses For some years, I suffered intense migraine headaches, which became increasingly debilitating. I would have them for three to five days at a time, and at their height, I was bedridden. In desperation, I sought my doctor's help, and he did extensive testing, which brought no result. He couldn't find the cause of the problem, so he put me on tablets, which which they did stop migraines, but... I asked him how long I would have to be on these tablets, and he told me I'd have to take them for the rest of my life. I didn't like that idea of being dependent on these tablets for the rest of my life, so I prayed and asked God to show me what the cause of these migraines were. I couldn't live with these forever. I was only on a few it was only a few days later that Mum found an article that she had cut out of the paper and gave me to read. The article listed every symptom that I had of the migraines and the cause was MSG poisoning. Apparently, according to this article, MSG is made from two natural ingredients but clash with each other and build up in the brain causing the symptoms that I had. The only way to deal with this was to completely avoid this very common food additive. It is also listed as flavor enhancer, or 6.21 on ingredients lists. After stopping its use, I have never had another migraine. Another answered prayer came when we lived with my aunt. For a while we decided that it was time for us to move and we weren't sure where to go. We had a block of land we had bought some years earlier that we wanted to build on, but it was 80 kilometres from where we now lived. I leaned towards moving nearer to the area where our land was, while Michael liked the idea of moving right into this Adelaide Central Business District. I wasn't so sure, so I decided to do something I had not done before. I prayed and I asked God very specifically where we should move to, either to the city or to the country. I wasn't expecting any reply as such, but I got one nonetheless. In a very small voice, I heard the Spirit tell me, Move to the south to the country in those words. Mm. While still in prayer, I asked how I would know where to go, and, ca- and back came my answer You will know when you see it. Now, I should point out that I had a very specific list of needs for a house. I was afraid to tell Michael of my experience because I thought he, he either would not believe me or he would still want to move to the CBD anyway. I told him what had happened and he accepted what I told him. So we started house hunting in the southern region. And how we got that house is another miracle story, which I won't go into now. After we had been living in the country for a couple of years, we closed our business But we needed work in the area. I decided that if God wanted us to live in the country, then he would provide employment for us in the area. We started to pray, and a few days later a friend came to our house and told us a local business was looking for workers. We went, applied, and immediately both of us found work there for the next two years. And at the end of those two years, the business was declared bankrupt and and closed, and we had to search elsewhere. I got work cleaning the local holiday houses. It was close close by, so it was very convenient and good money, but I still needed more. Well, I prayed and asked God what I should do. Should I stay with my current employer and try to find something else to top up? I didn't expect the answer that came. I was driving along toward town in my search for work and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said... I will give you a better job. I was absolutely startled. I wondered where that had come from, or was it my imagination? In any case, I went first to the Normanville Caravan Park, and they had no work. Then I went to the local doctor's surgery. They had no need of a new employee, but suggested I go next door to the nursing home, which I didn't even know existed, because it was behind the surgery and sheltered by trees and bushes. I went in and had a brief interview with the director. At the end of the interview, she told me not to call her, but she would call me back in a few days. I didn't have high hopes of success, but this because I thought it's like, don't call us, we'll call you. I didn't expect to hear back, but true to her word, the director called me back in two days and asked when I would like to come for an interview. I chose to go as soon as possible. During the interview, she said that the nursing home needed an extra cleaner, but after that I had completed that work, she would put me into training as a care worker. Well, I should tell you, I couldn't believe my ears. I was just blown away. Ordinarily, I would need Certificate Three in aged care to work as a CW, but as the, at the time, the local council was offering to pay for training CWs. I had got this training paid for by council. It was a small window of opportunity that I had managed to get into. I came at the right time. I marvelled at how good is our God, but it didn't end there. One day, some months later, as I knocked on the residence door to go in, a very small voice spoke to me and said, This is the job I gave you. I knew I was where God wanted me to be. Now, I should point out that God didn't always literally speak to me in this way. It was never an audible voice, but a rather quiet, silent voice, if you know what I mean. God had worked in many ways to show me his truth and his will for my life. God led me to find this work, but he gave it to me. You see, I had a, I have a serious hearing problem which causes me to have a very Lack of confidence, so for him to lead me the way he has gives me confidence in him. also, employers don't want to employ people with such acute hearing loss as I have, so it was a miracle I have the job, and I have been there for almost ten years. I should point out too that prayer is not an occasional thing that happens when I have a great need; it is a daily practice and a developing re- and developing a relationship so that Jesus is my friend in joy and in sorrow. I would like to share one more experience of many. Our middle son, Dieter, was in year 12 when he finally made his decision that he wanted what he wanted to do when he'd finished school. He wanted to become a primary teacher. His application was accepted and he had been guaranteed a job at his former primary school. He had an amazingly secure future. However... One Sunday morning, he received a call from a pastor which threw his carefully laid plans into disarray, causing us all chaos and uncertainty. He had recently been on a trip to Apatula in the APY lands of South Australia and the Northern Territory and with this pastor and had discovered he had an unusual affinity with the Indigenous people. In our home, he had always respected our Indigenous people and strongly supported their causes. I personally had always felt a strong, strongly sympathetic to their plight and emphasised to my children acceptance of all people, irrespective of colour, race and religion. Now this pastor, Don Frelberg, had rung my son to tell him that he had been strongly impressed to call him to ministry. There were several hurdles we had to deal with if he was to change his course of study. Firstly, his application to study teaching had already been accepted, and it might prove difficult to make a last-minute change. Secondly, Christmas was fast approaching, so the board would soon be retiring from the holidays. Thirdly, our son's TER wasn't high enough for the ministerial or theology course to, uh, to allow acceptance into this very rigorous course. The last obstacle was that we did not have the $3,000 for the registration fee. Dieter was thrown into uncertainty, so he fasted and prayed for three days. He maintained that God would remove all these obstacles if he really was calling him to ministry for Indigenous Australians. Of course, we prayed with him. One by one, God did remove all the obstacles except the last one. We did not have the required $3,000 deposit which was due on a specific date. But we believed that since God was helping us, we went ahead and drove the long distance to Sydney for him to take up study. It wasn't until a few hours before the office was closed that we were able to raise the the registration fee of $3,000. He quickly found student employment which would help pay his fees and books, and so began the arduous four years of study. The college's policy is that it will not graduate students without paying the final fees. So Dieter took up extra employment to raise the necessary funds. We helped him where we could with funds, but largely he paid the fees himself. Towards the end of his course, he worked three part-time jobs, so it was difficult for him to spend as much time as was necessary for him to study for his Greek class. The Greek course was divided into two parts, Greek A and Greek B. He passed Greek A, but because of the extra work he had taken on to clear his fees, his study time was less And for Greek B classes. The Greek B lesson was held on every Tuesday, and every following Thursday they were tested on the previous lesson. As his grade dropped on each test he had on a Thursday, he began to worry that he would fail Greek B which would necessitate him staying another semester and having to take up extra study. It was also he was also becoming exhausted from the extra work. We kept in regular touch by phone, and one evening when I rang him he asked me to pray at specific times when he was in Greek lessons and during the Greek and the tests on Thursday. He told me his test score was dropping by one percentage point each week, and if this continued, he would certainly fail Greek B. I promised to pray at these specific times. During prayer one morning at the agreed time, I was pouring out Dita's problem and pleading with God to help my son, and I had... Very unexpected answer, which I knew was God speaking directly to me. And it was Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. God said to me in prayer, He, that is Dieter, will fail this test and he will fail the next one, but he will pass the big test so that you know that I am with him. Well, I was blown away to say the least. When I stood up for my prayer, I felt unimaginable peace and, and relief. And I told my husband, Michael, and our youngest son, Andreas, about this, but not Dieter. I just reassured Dieter that God had told me everything would be okay. He later told me he had noted my sudden confidence in God and him passing his exam. It happened just as God had told me during prayer. He did fail the next two tests and he did pass the big one just to reassure us. But this wasn't all. Right at the time Dieter was standing in front of the notice board looking to see if he'd passed, I rang him to see if he'd received his results. The time was 7.25 South Australian time, 7.55 New South Wales time. When he told me he'd passed, I shared with him the details of my prayer. This is not an isolated experience I've had with God speaking directly to me. I believe that God speaks to all of us in one way or another but he never goes against his word, the Bible. What he says always comes to pass. There's no hit and miss. I believe that the only reason it doesn't happen more is more often is that we are either not listening or we don't believe it is God speaking to us. And I have a firm conviction that prayer changes things and it will change things for you too.
0: And I didn't want to interrupt an amazing story and Answers to Prayer with our guest, Christine. If I'll ask you to give just one piece of advice to our listeners, I think I know already the answer, but what would you like to say?
1: I think a close relationship with Jesus, study your Bible and listen to God and pray to Him to open your eyes to the truth.
0: Thank you very much, Christine. I thought so. you'll, you'll say prayer, very important thing, and we'll encourage each one of our listeners to bring before the Lord their petitions, you know their requests, and be faithful to God, and God will answer, "You as He is as His will is." Until next time, don't forget. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.